0: Bonjour les amis et bienvenue, welcome to the next episode of the Paris Lessons. Merci d'être là, thank you for being here. And happy belated Thanksgiving to everyone who celebrated that this week. I went to two Thanksgiving events here à Paris in Paris. The first was one at l'école militaire, so it was very, very exciting to get to be inside of that venue for the first time. And it was hosted by the American University Clubs of France. So this is an organization that gets together American University alumni that are here in France, specifically in Paris. It was a lot of fun. I met a lot of really incredible new people. I saw some familiar faces. I ran into a lovely student. It was uh, a really, really sweet night. And one of the things that stayed with me the most from this night is at one point they wanted to, the Americans wanted to have all of the kitchen staff to come out so that we could all thank them. And I'm not sure. I mean, there were at least, I think there were close to 200 people there so it was really interesting to have this French chef and all of the French kitchen staff come out and the the person who was introducing them to all of us on the mic, she's American and she said, you know, we had to really sort of convince them to take a break to come out so we could thank them. We explained to them that it's an American tradition at Thanksgiving to be very thankful, to express your thanks and the chef was really, really sweet. He was clearly taken aback and very appreciative. And the the woman at the microphone said, "You know, I'm sure you're not used to people thanking you like this uh, for the meals that you cook." And he said, "Well, not, you know, right in the middle of them, maybe after. So that was very memorable. All of the all of the thanks going around. It's always nice to to get together with other Americans who have moved to France and who are, you know, really creating their lives here in Paris. And, you know, just be, just be lighthearted. Just connect over the food of Thanksgiving, which by the way, you know, it's interesting because everyone has their tricks for recreating American cuisine, Thanksgiving cuisine, I should say, in Paris. There are a couple of stores here where you can get the really key ingredients that, you know, when you tell French people what the key ingredients are, that go into an American Thanksgiving meal it's it's incredibly lowbrow to them. I mean canned cranberry sauce, canned pumpkin pie, filling um, canned gravy. I mean I'm not saying all Americans don't make their own their own, but you know, in my family, we didn't. that's how I grew up. so it's always really interesting to also you know because at this meal there were also french people who had gone to american universities i sat next to a really wonderful woman who received her phd actually she she defended her phd at berkeley but then she actually got her phd from Princeton in linguistics. You can imagine that she and I had a lot to talk about. And she's French and she spent obviously many years in the United States. So, you know, she knows very much what American culture is, but there's always one thing that the French cannot get over when it comes to Thanksgiving meal, the Thanksgiving meal. And this woman definitely shared that opinion, this French woman. It's the mixture well, it's two things. It's the mixture of the sweet and the salty. So the cranberry sauce, you know, with the turkey. And also it's the obscene amount of cinnamon in everything. French people, they're not that into cinnamon. It's, it's a spice that you don't find very much in French cuisine. I love cinnamon. So we had a really great laugh at the table that I was at joking. We kind of all went around the table talking about times we've made Thanksgiving dinner for French friends here in Paris and how unanimously the thing that French people think is just the most disgusting are the, the baked yams with the brown sugar and the marshmallows because it's just very over the top. And also what are marshmallows doing in a dish at the dinner table? So I thought that you would appreciate some of that cultural feedback from the French side. Thursday night, I went to a really wonderful Friendsgiving, which we called Copainsgiving, hosted by my friend Apollonia. And copain, which she taught me, actually, so this word means friend, right? In French, C-O-P-A-I-N. But when you look at it, copain, co bread, friend, the, the meaning of this word is actually the people that you share bread with, which is not surprising that Apollonia taught me that because she is an incredible baker and an incredible person. It was such a wonderful night. She really um, attracts a a very wonderful group of people, a wonderful group of French Americans here in Paris. It was very, very festive. It was fun to see familiar faces. It was also fun to run into some of my students. And it was really sweet because some of the French people there had never experienced Thanksgiving before. So it wasn't, it's not a traditional Thanksgiving. It's more of a Friendsgiving where every it's like a potluck and we're all bringing our dishes and we're, you know, generally standing as we eat and we're enjoying wine, but it was really sweet. I always love explaining to French people what Thanksgiving is because I, I just, I love the I love this idea of giving thanks. I love this idea of spending a day sharing a meal with loved ones and, and, you know, really just kind of carving out a special moment in time, entre parenthèses, you know, between parentheses, and, you know, doing as best we can to be in the moment and appreciate the moment. So thank you so much to all of you who sent in questions and comments this week. I love hearing from you so much. So thank you for taking the time to do that. One of the things I wanted to circle back uh, really quickly to the prior episode on the future self, because something came up this week and I thought of all of you. So as I you've heard me talk a lot about the philosopher and the psychologist, the American philosopher and psychologist William James lately, because um, I've been studying his definition of of consciousness. So in my research get this. So I'm going through, at the Sorbonne, we're very lucky. We have an amazing library. We have all 10 volumes of his correspondence. Now remember, William James is the big brother of Henry James, who wrote Portrait of a Lady, among other famous American novels. So I'm going through, I think it was the ninth volume of his correspondence. And I'm I'm going, starting with the table of contents, because I want to see his correspondence with other other philosophers at the time. So I'm skimming through, skimming through, skimming through, and I see letter to Gertrude Stein. And I think to myself, what in the world were these two doing, writing letters to each other? Gertrude Stein. So I immediately think, well, because of literary circles, Gertrude probably knew Henry. He spent a lot of time writing here in Paris. But, you know, Henry James wasn't part of that whole Gertrude Stein Club. He was really hanging out more with the French authors than the um, than the um, you know non French authors and artists that were here in Gertrude Stein's circle. So I go to that letter, and I don't find any. I don't see anything there. I'm expecting. There's no reference to literature. It's William James writing to Gertrude Stein, trying to find out um, the, I can't remember, the current whereabouts, basically the news of a colleague that they had in common. And in this letter, William James is not talking to Gertrude Stein as we know her today. William James is talking to Gertrude Stein as he knew her as a medical student at Harvard. And mind you, William James is also writing to her as her former professor in the medical program, not as William James, the philosopher that we would also come to know him as. So I got the good chills, as I like to say, when I read this letter, because I thought, wow, this... Here we have in writing the written proof of two prior versions of two people that we've all heard of, two incredible people, who went on to embody their future selves, of which they likely had seeds of these versions within them at the time that they were writing each other, even though at the time they only knew each other from the medical program. Gertrude Stein is a medical student. William James as a medical professor, as a professor of medicine, pardon me. Gertrude Stein goes on to move to Paris to be a writer, to have this incredible influence over all of these artists and writers that she gathered, to be a leader in literary circles. William James goes on to be one of the, mo- one of the most celebrated and respected American philosophers ever. Now, when you step back and you think, and this is the, the other reason that I loved running across this letter is this is a real life example of something that I tried to express in that podcast episode on your future self, that one of the hardest things, one of the most challenging things about staying in touch with our future self or keeping our future self in mind is just simply that we're nervous about how she or he might be received by those who really know our current self very, very well. Because change is difficult. We like to figure the world out. We like to feel like we really know the people we love. So it's natural that we're, if we're in the midst of an evolution, if we're in, in the midst of a transformation, that this might be uncomfortable for some of the people that traditionally have known us the best. So I love this example. Of this letter between Gertrude Stein and William James, from William James to Gertrude Stein. Because we have this concrete example of the amount of latitude that we can really give ourselves when it comes to imagining our future self, which is really just being in touch with those those deep inner seeds that are inside our soul that are telling us that there's something else we want to do, or there's something else we want to be familiar with, or there's a place that we want to get to know, or there's people that we want to talk to. It can really be as simple as that, but when that future self is quite different from what our present self is, that's where the challenge lies. So again, we have Gertrude Stein, the medical student at Harvard. Gertrude Stein the leader of a creative, a legendary creative circle of authors and artists in Paris, William James, the professor of medicine at Harvard, William James, one of the most revered American philosophers in the history of time. So I hope that that inspires you. And who knows, maybe it'll also inspire you to read a little bit more about Gertrude Stein's path in general. It's very easy when we um, have these figures from history that we admire so much to assume that they were always the person that, that the world came to know them as. But remember, they're just people too. They have different versions of themselves too. Next, thank you so much for the comments that you sent in on the episode last week on your voice. I'm so pleased to know that it spoke to many of you. Personally, the practice of letting my voice be more relaxed, you know, really trying to keep my voice throughout the day, basically the way it is when I first wake up in the morning has helped me a lot to to lower it, to, you know, with my French, obviously, as you've heard me say many times before, it's a lot it's more comfortable to speak French when you're speaking at a lower volume. So that over the years has really helped me to speak French more naturally. But most of all, it's really helped me to embody what I call a soft power. If you've taken my French confidence class, anytime really that I felt my femme enfant creeping in more, I've heard her in my voice. And this is the persona that really got in my way of of embracing my maturity, of really letting my self-confidence bloom, of really stepping into my power. Added to that, something that I didn't mes- mention in that uh, podcast episode, and that I think about a lot, not only as a French teacher, um, but also as a student myself, I'm always telling my students of the French language to use the words they have you know, when they're in a French conversation, it's, you know, of course it's normal to feel uncomfortable and to have some nervousness come up, but to just focus on using the words you have. One of the most challenging aspects of speaking in a language that isn't our first language is just this, um, this sense of what our limits are, right? This sense of not having a ton of synonyms to communicate with. We really only know how to say things one way at first, which, and also that sort of makes it so that we don't really have any style or personal expression when we're communicating. We're communicating in a way that's much more to the point, which also, by the way, is very French. Um, Also though, we tend to want to speak more quickly because we think that people who speak a language fluidly speak quickly, but that's not the case. They sound like they're speaking quickly to us because we're still learning. Always keep in mind the kind of voices and the kind of um, dialogues that you feel great being a part of, that you love to listen to. These are generally, if you're in a conversation with someone or if if you're at a lecture, I go to a lot of lectures in philosophy. The ones that I love the most are the ones where the speaker is taking her or his time when they speak i can feel their emotional connection to their words they're speaking they're speaking clearly they're speaking intentionally they're letting not just my ears but my mind catch up with what they're saying so i really feel like i'm on the same wavelength as they are i mean literally like the sound wavelength if you want to have more of an experience of what it feels like to speak in this way, try to speak at a pace where you can really let the sensation of the words being created fill your mouth, where you can also give yourself enough time to hear yourself. This is going to help you to focus on using the words that you have, using the French that you know. For example, I gave my first presentation in my Italian philosophy class the other day, I took my own advice. I was very to the point. Of course, I was well organized and I had my talk prepared. It's what we would call an exposé in French. It's very much part of the French education system where, where constantly it feels like doing these oral presentations and then there's a Q&A after where you have to defend your point of view or, you know, or clarify parts of your research. So I was to the point and I took my time. And this is a class where there are only two people in it that are not Italian. There's me and there's a French student. So, you know, of course the Italians were speaking much more quickly and freely than I was. um, But I took my time. I gave myself the gift of enjoying pronouncing these luscious Italian words. I could hear myself as I was speaking. And do you know what? Two things happened. Number one, um... From the feedback that I got, I think I, I gave off the impression that my Italian is much um, more, that I, have a, that I have a much larger vocabulary than I actually do, simply because not speaking so quickly gave off an, a confident energy, a relaxed energy, a solid energy. But also, I took my time. So because I was clear and I took my time, I gave the people listening to my presentation time to really follow everything that I was saying. And as I said earlier, I go to a lot of, of lectures, and these are you know people, professors who come to visit the Sorbonne from all over the world. So it's not just my French students speaking French. I also see it in... Um, not, you know, all of these professors, of course, speak French beautifully, but professors that are um, not native French speakers. So I see this in them too, this tendency at times to want to speak more quickly. And it's just, you know, sort of out of nerves or out of discomfort. The French tend to, at least when they're giving a presentation, speak very precisely and directly, and they take their time. They take pleasure in that. So I wanted to add that to our discussion of the voice. And I hope that that encourages you in your next conversation to remember to take your time and to take pleasure. The more pleasure you have speaking French, the more pleasure the people that you're speaking with are going to have as well. So before I get into your questions, I am going to share with you what I have prepared for this week, which lines up perfectly, actually, with one of your questions. So I'll actually, I'll read that question as a nice segue. I remember you talking about how the French are so good at carving out time to do what is most important to them and protecting their leisure time. I think that this listener is referring to either my French well-being program, likely the French well-being program. With so much to do, and especially this time of year, could you possibly expand a little more on your thoughts on how to know what to let go of to enable us to carve out this time we all need? I've been focusing, for example, on carving out more time for my French practice. I'm reading Bonjour Tristesse, and although it's very slow, I'm feeling incredibly French and inspired. I bet Paris is looking beautiful. Now that the Christmas season has begun, thank you for the lovely images on Instagram. Je vous en prie, ma belle. I'm so happy to hear that you're reading. The, I did a membership month on reading in French. Those of you who were in that month, you'll recall what I said if you weren't in that month. Um, my My... My best advice when it comes to reading in French is to not put so much pressure on yourself. Not say that you have to read a whole book, not give yourself a deadline for doing it, but just read a little bit every day. Reading in French is a wonderful exercise in building your vocabulary, but also building that muscle of being okay with not knowing all of the words and it really is a muscle. The more you read, the more fluid your experience of reading in French will be. So let's talk about this wonderful topic for this time of year of remembering what's important to us, of protecting our leisure time, of taking care of ourselves, of getting everything done that needs to get done. My advice on this is very simple knowing yourself, being organized, and communicating in a simple, authentic way. Know what's important to you, create a schedule, and plan. Plan your walks in nature, plan your alone time. And by plan, I mean schedule. Plan time to read plan time with your friends. It's really important to plan your time with your loved ones because this is always also going to give you the the momentum that you need to get through all of the other really hectic things over the holidays, you know. This time of year is just as, as crazy for French people as it is for American people. You know, now we're starting the endless holiday apéro, the end of year work projects, school projects, getting ready for vacation, les fêtes. Les fêtes means the holidays, dinners. And this is such a beautiful time of year, but it's a time and a time of year with so much joy. But it can also be a time of year that really, really exhausts us. If we don't take care of ourselves, and it's true, the French are very wonderful at recognizing their their physical limits, so to speak. So recognizing when they need rest, recognizing when they need to hit pause and take care of themselves so then they can go back out into work or into social situations and really be their deepest, most authentic, relaxed self if you've taken my French confidence class and you've heard me talk already about how French people love to be organized and love to plan. One of the, this is actually a, this is from my French finances course, but this meditation and this quote is perfect for this. So I wanted to share this meditation with you. This is also a great one as we head into 2020 because I know people are, you know, They're already imagining their goals for 2020 and New Year is a wonderful time to start new projects. So, here's the meditation. It says, my future is my present. Mon avenir est mon présent. Mon avenir est mon présent. So you can put this on a post-it note at work or in your bathroom at home or you can say it out loud when you wake up in the morning or when you go to sleep at night. My future is my present. My future is my present. Mon avenir est mon présent. Mon avenir est mon présent. And without... Getting into the topic of time and what the future is and what the present is and what the past is, I'll save that for a later episode because that's a very, very big, very, very, very important topic. Just on the surface, we can appreciate the truth that's in this meditation, that our future is built up of what we do in the present. By the same token, the way we feel in the future is very closely related by how we set ourselves up to feel in the present. So if I'm exhausted and I haven't been taking care of myself, but I know I have a a big uh, family dinner in a few nights, I'm setting myself up for not really enjoying that dinner. I'm setting myself up for not really sharing my best part of myself with my family. If I know that I have a really big work deadline coming up soon, but I'm having a hard time saying, you know, no to social things or no to things that aren't, you know, really as important as that work project is to me, then I'm acting in a way in my present that's not in alignment with my future. Remember, my future is my present, mon avenir et mon présent. So that's why I say we have to know ourselves, know what's important to us. We have to have a schedule. We have to schedule time for what's important to us. And we have to really believe that what is important to us is important. That's sort of the part B of that second step, which I'll go back to in a second. And then third, we need to communicate that um, directly and authentically. There's a wonderful quote from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who most of you know, wrote Le Petit Prince that I also included in this part of French Finance's the future is never more than the present needing to be organized. You need not predict it, but permit it. So I wanted to share this with you. For any of you who are sort of starting to feel a little bit of anxiety with you know the big wave of the holiday season that's now officially upon us, remember that the future um, isn't something that's out of our, completely out of our control. We can't predict it, but we can allow it in gracefully. And the way we, that we can do that is by being very organized in the present. So let me read this again. The future is never more than the present needing to be organized. You need not predict it, but permit it. L'avenir n'est jamais que du présent à mettre en ordre. Tu n'as pas à le prévoir, mais à le permettre. I'll say it again. So beautiful, isn't it? L'avenir n'est jamais que du présent à mettre En ordre. Tu n'as pas à le prévoir, mais à le permettre. You need not predict it, but permit it. Remember that. Remember that as we head more and more deeply into this holiday season. Let me get back into this, that part B of step two that I mentioned. I think that the reason that we often don't do the very simple thing of scheduling our rest time or our leisure time is because we don't take it seriously. We feel guilty um being away from you know people who who we have an emotional connection with. We feel guilty putting ourselves first above everything else. But it's really wonderful to understand, like the French do, that we only have so much energy. We need rest. We need to nourish ourselves with healthy food. We, play is also a form of rest. Know yourself. Some people recharge with other people. Some people recharge on their own. I personally recharge on my own. I've always been that way. I think that that's why I, that's why I love studying piano for for so long is because it's, you know, it's an activity that you do on your own. But if you're guilting yourself or what I call irrationally guilting yourself. So this is from my Being Yourself the French Way program, this concept of irrational guilt. That's a rational guilt, feeling guilty for uh, sleeping in or feeling guilty for um, saying no to that friend who wanted to have coffee because you just feel like you're you're burning out a bit, and you you know you're being or, you're organizing your present to set yourself up to welcome in the future that you've envisioned. Um, so you're you know trying to carve out the leisure time that you need, or you know telling your boss that you need an extra two days to get that project done if that's okay because you have a really important family event over the weekend, and you just realize that you're only one person, and you only have so much energy, and that's the way, that's the way it goes. So this irrational guilt is what I call guilt when you've done nothing wrong, but it's a, real, it's a real feeling. We feel really, really guilty, and it's this guilt that precludes us from scheduling our self-care, from scheduling our rest, from scheduling our downtime, be it playtime, you know, hanging out with friends or downtime reading a book at home alone. And as soon as you can start to really trust the worth of that self-care more, the sooner you're going to be able to take your self-care schedule much more seriously. And from there, you're going to be able to communicate more authentically around it. Now, I'm not saying that you have to, you know, be completely transparent and share all of your self-care routine with everyone who's trying to get time in your schedule. However, all I'm saying is it's really important for you to get to a place, in my opinion, where you truly, truly, 100% believe when you, that you are unavailable or when you're saying no, I can't to someone that you're 100% sure in your position of no, I can't when they are asking you to do something or be somewhere at the same time where you've scheduled self-care. That's what I'm talking about, about really communicating authentically. I mean, it's really communicating authentically with yourself about what you need and scheduling it, but then really sticking to that as far as how that plays out in the world. I'm going to take a sip of my tea. My throat's getting a little dry. I have this really wonderful tea. It's my favorite tea in the whole world. It's Tulsi tea, and it's from my friend's cafe in New York City called Bosie, B-O-S-I-E. So if any of you live in New York and you're near the West Village, Bosie. They have amazing, amazing teas, and they have these wonderful tea macaron. Beautiful platters that they put together for tea time that you can enjoy, and they also have really wonderful French wine. Okay, I'm getting off course. My throat's better now. So, communicating authentically with yourself, and then communicating to the outside world in a way that protects that authentic dialogue that you have with yourself, that protects that that. Promise that you've made to yourself, to take care of yourself. Here's another idea that I want to share with you. And I'll say it in French first, and then I'll say it en anglais, in English. Vivre veut dire se montrer. Vivre veut dire se montrer. To live means to show oneself. To live means to show oneself. And what I mean by to show oneself is to really be present in the world as yourself, right? To communicate in a way that's in line with what you need, with what you're feeling, with what you've promised to yourself. Il n'y a pas de mal à se faire du bien. There is no harm in doing oneself good. And then I just want to read to you a small extra excerpt from Being Yourself the French way. This is from a section called Le Plaisir. Pleasure. And I hope that this stays with you and that this inspires you to check in with yourself and you know really look at your calendar. You know what your 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 own energetic capacity is look at your calendar heading into this busy and amazing and joyful month of December and schedule the time that you need to relax, to play, to rest, and really honor that promise to yourself. The sneakiest element of the role that guilt plays in our lives is how it blocks us from completely enjoying or taking pleasure in our experience. The French are very clear on the fact that life is meant to be enjoyed despite its inevitable challenges. That said, those challenges ought not to be ones that we create for ourselves. So I'm going to interject here. And we can create challenges by ourselves, for ourselves, by pushing ourselves too hard. Guilt keeps us from admitting to ourselves that we deserve to be happy. Guilt keeps us out of the present moment by confusing our communication with ourselves and others. So this is, again, I'm interjecting. So this, an example, this would be where you've been looking forward all week to sleeping in Sunday, but then, um, you know, I'll use my sister as an example. She's probably listening. I love you, sissy. You know, I'm just using, as an example. So they, then let's say, for example, I've been lo- looking forward to sleeping in all week on Sunday morning and And uh, let's say my sister lives here, which I wish she did. Um, she lives in Seattle, and she wants me to pick something up for her. I love my sister, she's my best friend. I so love helping her, but I'm just i'm so so so, so, so so tired, but I do it anyway because I want to please her right so that's but but you know what ends up happening is I'm sort of stressed out and maybe I'm a little bit short with her. That's a great example of. Not being really in the present moment because I've confused my communication. I've dishonored my communication with myself and I've kind of confused my communication with my sister. I've said I'll do this favor, but I'm not 100% there because I'm exhausted. I'm going against myself. I'm a contre coeur, I'm, I'm against heart, to use that expression we've looked at before, with myself. Guilt, put frankly, takes the fun out of life. Remind yourself of the difference between irrational guilt and guilt guilt based on actual events that you regret or regret having played a part in or circumstances to which you contributed for which you feel remorse so let's enjoy this wonderful experience of the holiday season let's really listen to ourselves honor ourselves schedule the time that we need to stay energetic to stay our best versions of ourselves for our loved ones, for our work, for our souls through this amazing time of year and finish out the the year from a very, very powerful and authentic place. And remember, I want you to remember this in moments of challenge, honoring your commitments to yourself. Remember that Carrie Ann said that joie de vivre and irrational guilt cannot Coexist. Joie de vivre and irrational guilt cannot coexist. Et voilà mes beautés. Let me answer a few more of your wonderful, wonderful questions. Another wonderful question that I had was about l'esprit. So this listener says in a previous episode, you touched upon l'esprit. So l'esprit can mean a few things in French, but what she's meaning here um, is its meaning as the mind. And I would love if you could expound further upon the French sense of the word because I see and hear it often bantered about in a way unlike here in the US. La poésie is another such phrase that seems to be used differently, more broadly perhaps, than here in the States. So let me actually start with the comment about la poésie first. So it's true in French, we have a, langu- we have a way of using the French language that's very, very precise. So we can have a poetic use of language or a more um, literal use of language. So an example of poetic use of language, which of course we have these differences in the English language too, um, but I just find that they're more carved out here in French culture than um, back in the States. So poetic use of language would be this wonderful quote from Colette, music is love in search of a word. So this is like taken from a dream, right? Where I've given I've given love, you know, almost its own personality. Love is searching for a word. Music is love in search of a word versus, you know, more a more literal use of language would be music is a way of organizing, you know, just the technical definition of music. Um, you know, music is a way of organizing sounds in a way that's ideally pleasant or music is something, is an art form that is that is um, created by composers and musicians. So there's the difference between, you know, more poetic. So sometimes in my classes, like when I taught the future tense, I really used examples from poetry because for me, the future tense is very poetic, meaning it's not absolutely necessary. I can say, j'irai, I will go, I will go, or I can say, je vais aller, I am going to go in French. But j'irai, is more poetic because it's, it's, it's more beautiful, but not absolutely necessary. Now, l'esprit is interesting. So in French, I could say, um, un esprit de, um, like a spirit of, or a mood of, just as I can in English. But this use of l'esprit, meaning the mind is really interesting. And especially when it comes to philosophy and psychology. So it's true in, in English, in American culture, especially in personal development culture, the mind is treated, the, the term the mind is treated in a much different way than we see it here in French culture. First of all, there's a lot less personal development in culture. The French rely much more on philosophy than they do on personal development. In philosophy, the mind has a really wonderful status. It's right up there with the body and the soul. It's very, very powerful. Um, You know, in personal development culture, in Anglophone personal development literature, for example... The mind tends to be really vilified because it tends to be associated with the ego. And this is why when I talk about the mind, I really like to impart instead this idea of your mind being one of your greatest human assets. This was such a huge relief to me when I started to read about the mind as this wonderfully complex, intentional, knowledge-seeking entity. And not simply where my ego lives, where, you know, things like jealousy and fear are being fueled. Now, we also talk about the ego in philosophy. We particularly talk about the ego in uh, psychology, but the, the ego from a more technical term is nothing more than that, that, that center point of your consciousness from which everything you're perceiving, everything you're taking in Everything you're learning, everything you're putting out there is happening, and this is important. This has been important for me, regardless, because um, at some point, and this isn't to com- you know to completely um, to completely you know, cast a shadow on personal development. I still read a lot of personal development and enjoy personal development. Um, but for me personally, the, the way that the mind is often vilified in personal development or thoughts, thoughts are hugely vilified in personal development. That was something that was really starting to hold me back at one point in my own, in my own journey. I started to become a little bit superstitious, if you will, and feeling like the more, um, spiritual parts of me, which I would say in, in philosophy we would equate more to our soul, were uh, more valid or were good, whereas the mental parts of me, which we would call in philosophy l'esprit, were bad or were something to be taken less seriously. And that's not really true. Not only is it not true, it's unfortunate because, as I said earlier, our mind, your mind is one of your greatest, 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 Human gifts. There's nothing, our mind, you know, and this is, of course, this is why sometimes meditation can be challenging, or this is why sometimes, you know, when we, when we do have thoughts of jealousy or thoughts of fear, it can be very challenging to, um, th- the concept of the mind can be challenging because we, in those moments, you realize it's something that we can't control. Uh, we can't control it but we can we can let it unfold itself we can let it empty itself out or tire itself out if you will but let us not forget all of its beautiful productive qualities our mind is never not with us even when we're sleeping right our mind is our mind is controlling our body you know now I'm specifically talking about the brain of course but I think that there's a, there's a danger in mistrusting your thoughts, in mistrusting your mind by confusing your thoughts, by confusing your mind with ego. Ego, as I said, from a psychology standpoint and a philosophy standpoint, is really just the center of your experience. It's your I it's your me. From a personal development standpoint, it's all the bad things that are, that are, it's all the things that are expressed in our negative thoughts, right? Self-doubt, fear. mainly. I mean, mainly self-doubt and fear. That's basically what, and you know, pain, what they all come from. Thoughts that, that are painful. But That doesn't mean that our capacity to think is dangerous. That doesn't mean that our mind is something to not be trusted. I mean, even circling back a bit to an earlier part of this podcast episode where I invited you, you know, really getting in touch with yourself, getting to know yourself, being clear on what's important to you, scheduling that in. You know, reflecting on the kind of communication you're going to have about around that with the outside world to honor the promise you've made with yourself. That all happens through constructive thinking and from communication with yourself through thoughts. Our thoughts have an energetic power, they have intention. We dream through our thoughts, we do a lot of beautiful things through our thoughts, we understand our feelings through our thoughts. And I'm sure I'll have much more to say about this as, as the podcast develops. But for now, just, you know, just to plant a seed, um, I wanted to, to give you this image of your mind being this, this incredible, uh, this incredible matrix of, creativity, of productivity, and of really miraculous things that happen on a physiological level that enable you to do, to create, to say, and to to understand the things you want to do, create, and say, and also to understand the things that the world around you is doing, creating, and saying. It's not something... be afraid of. It's not just your ego insofar as, you know, thoughts of self-doubt and fear and jealousy, etc., etc. So there are some thoughts that, that can really, really, really make a wonderful difference in our lives. In personal development, these sorts of thoughts are often called intuition, and whether you believe that intuition is your soul speaking to you or or some other force speaking to you, whatever it is, it comes into your reality via your mind. Your mind is really your foreground of this wonderful movie that you're living in. Et voilà, chers amis. And there you go. Dear friends, as I mentioned, it's holiday apero time. I'm going to talk more and more about French holiday, holiday traditions in upcoming episodes. I wish you all lots of joie de vivre, lots of productivity, lots of rest, lots of authenticity with yourself. This week, I look forward to hearing from you at Carrie Anne at frenchisbeautiful.com. Je vous embrasse très, très fort. I send you a very, very big kiss. Et je vous souhaite Une très belle semaine, and I wish you a very beautiful week.